When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged his eyes and brought him down to the Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill of the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the revigor of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked at Samson while he entertained. Then Samson called the Lord and said, our Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Estol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, judges has been tough. The realness, the depth, the, the honesty of our frailty and your kindness to continue to be patient and intervene to deliver Israel that keeps doing life as their eyes see fit. God, we see this as a pointer to the true deliverer once and for all in Christ. And as we read through it, we learn so many things. We have been challenged. We recognize that we can't do church life and anything in this life on our own power. And so today, as we concluded with Samson, uh, give us your words. May the Holy Spirit work in me as I deliver it, and also in our hearts as we receive it, that you would surprise all of us, God, with your truth and with your desire for what you want us to hear and take away. 
So, Lord, we continue to offer this worship to you and ourselves in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even God's elect and chosen ones, like Samson and, and these judges, are the very people who fall away. And so, Christianity and religion is not, you, you have these commands, you follow it, and your life and your relationship with God is dependent on your commands. That's not Christianity. The Christianity is we keep failing and failing, and God gives us his son as a free gift of grace. And when we are freed in that and when we relish that, when we are amazed by God's mercy for a sinner like me, it makes us want to obey. It makes us desire to obey. And it makes us obey so that we could stay in fellowship with God. In Samson, uh, the couple of things we see through the past two chapters is you see the progression of sin. Samson loved a lot of things, but the one thing that's clear in the Bible is he loved women. And you can see the progression of his sin. Remember the first woman that he loved was a Philistine. And why did he love her? Even though this, she's part of a nation that's oppressing her, she was pleasing to his eyes. Usually when we live according to our own way, we live in a way that whatever makes me happy, that's what I want to do. I think Ted Turner was the one that said that. If it feels good, do it. Or maybe it was Hugh Hefner. One of them said these terms like, this is how we're going to live. If it feels good, let's do it. It's a terrible advice. It's a destructive advice. And so Samson sees his first wife, and he says, she's good for my eye. Get her for me. And then we see that it fell into just chaos, and eventually she gets burned alive. And Samson is complicit in this fiasco. In the beginning of chapter 16 of Judges, we see Samson. Where is he? He's actually at a pros- with a prostitute overnight. And the Philistines know that, so they said, let's ambush him. And let's wait by the city gate. So when he wakes up and goes home, we will attack him. Samson catches wind of this. At midnight, he wakes up. He takes the whole pillar of dirt posts, carries it on his back, and walks out. And he is not caught. But the second thing is you see the progression from a wife that was pleasing to his eyes to sleeping with a prostitute. And so today we come to the final lady. You see the evidence gets worse. And Delilah is his the famous story of Samson falls in love with Delilah. But I never caught this growing up. I don't think Delilah really ever loved him. So the tragedy of this is Samson loved Delilah so much, but Delilah, which means flirtatious, by the way, never loved her, him. And we know that because for her, 1,100 pieces of silver were just good enough for him, her to betray Samson. And we also know he loved her so much that he was blinded by her attempt to try to hurt him. So this progression of sin is this. You pick somebody that was not a good pick for you, but now it's Delilah. You pick someone who wants to destroy you, and you don't even see it. Isn't that the way sin works? Sin tastes like honey in the beginning, but it's poison at the end. And so this this reminds us of Proverbs 6.20, and this is what the Proverbs writer says. Solomon writes, My son... Keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching, implying they are following the word of God. They give you wisdom for your life. Listen to them. So, so young people, listen to your father and your mother as they are, if they are in the Lord and as they are teaching that. Verse 21, bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. 
When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Verse 23, for this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. Proverbs writer is saying, God's words are instructions to help you live well. Again, the illustration of amusement parks. Please put your seatbelt on, harness down. If you say, I don't want to do that, I don't care, you're not going to get on the ride. And if it does go, you're, you're going to fall off and die. So these instructions are helpful to us, to protect us. But listen, verse 24, keeping your, you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. I wonder if this pr proverb was written with someone like Samson in mind, that to follow our eyes and our heart's desire, to be captivated by a smooth-talking person who seduces you, who manipulates you, especially for a young, young person or a married person. This goes for men and women. And so for, there's a song from Casting Crowns. Uh, some of you may have heard on the radio. It's called Slow Fade. The progression of sin is a slow fade. No one wakes up out of the blue and says, you know, I feel like committing adultery. No, no one wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think stealing from my company is a good idea. It's a slow fade. So listen to the words of this song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are always sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. And we see Samson is this train wreck slowly happening, unfolding before our eyes. And some of us live in a way where we live where our truths have become from black and white to gray. And the point of that song is, you no longer know what's good and wrong, wrong or right. You have rationalized yourself, you have forgotten God and his word, and you lived only as your eyes see fit, and that slow fade leads to this. So Samson finds himself at the end of his life, and this is his final, final stage. He is caught up with a woman named Delilah, and Samson recognized, does not recognize she is going to be the death of you. And so this progression goes on to this next tragedy of Samson. He's, he has this massive misplaced confidence. So she tells, she nags him to death. By the way, I love that part in the Bible. How does Samson reveal his secret? It says in verse 16, she vexed him to death. So women, men, this is a caution for us. That men, we're nagged enough, eventually we may spill the beans. Um, or if you nag hard enough, sometimes you will get what you want, but it is such a devious act. And so he tells him the secret, and he says, if you cut the locks of my hair, I will be like everyone else. So she made him sleep on his knees, and she called a man and had his head shaved, and she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And catch this. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. Let me read that one more time. I will go out as other times 
and shake myself free. Now, how many of you know about stocks and securities and trading and investments, right? If you, if you watch it in the commercial, there's like a stock commercial. They always end with a disclaimer. Do you know what the disclaimer is about stocks? All right, some of you are nodding. So the disclaimer is this. Past performance is no guarantee for what? Future results. Yes, a lot of stock investors. So every stock investment in commercials, they'll say, hey, invest with us. Invest in securities. Uh, you know, th we know we have great experts and advisors. And they always end with that disclaimer. They, and they go really fast, like, past performance is not a guarantee for future results. And I think that is a wise way to live, that our past performance, even with God's successes, is no guarantee for future results if it's based on us. What Samson says here is, I will go out, as at the other times, and shake myself free. There is no word of God. Samson is purely thinking, because I have my MBA, I got my three businesses, I bought my fourth car, because I've had a nice neighbor and, you know, the world, I'm a success in the world, I will go into the future with that same success. Samson, who's the one that gave you all of this secret? Not from you. And so the next line, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. I think a lot of us live in this way. I will go out and said other times and shake myself free. You know, I've had a good life. And, you know, things are going to keep on getting better. But what happens? Market crashes. Tragedies happen. You find out that your company is closing down. You find out the real estate market is starting to get a little tight. You went from 2% APR mortgage to 7%. And everything that we counted on based on our past is starting to look like it's fading away. And so Samson's sin was not that his past was God's accomplishment and God can do it in the future. He really believed it was his strength and that his power will continue to free him. And I think that's the point of Judges. Samson was misplaced in his self-confidence. So I read through chapter 14, 15, 16 of Judges like five times in the past couple of weeks just studying it. And do you know how many times Samson called out to God before this chapter? Only once. <laughs> the only time Samson called out to God was, I defeated my enemies and are you going to let me die of thirst? That was the only time Samson called out to God. It was a sarcastic remark to God. And I am amazed that God is so gentle with Samson. Samson and God were never, never really pronounced. It was always Samson's life. In fact, as Judges goes on every chapter, you hear less and less about God and more and more about the Judges as Israel is going into this dark chaos. After this, if you read chapter 17, 18, 19, it gets even more bloody and brutal. Judges is not a children's book. So anyway, we see Samson realizing that his relationship with, his, with God is not significant. So he has a Nazarite vow. Don't eat grapes. Don't drink grapes. Don't eat alcohol. Don't touch dead bodies. He's broken every single one, and he's got one left. Do not cut your hair. 
and he finally gives his last vow up, and it's broken. Um, Psalm 84, verse 10 tells us, for those of us who are saying, like, I'll live my life my way, um, I liked what the message version writes. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. I'd rather scrub the floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. In other words, for Samson, I would say, Samson, the blessing of your life is not all that you accomplished, all that you've gained, and the women you have. It is to be close with God, and you have given the last vow up with God for things, for Delilah, for your flesh. And so is it worth having wealth in this world but forsake your soul? I think Jesus said, what good is it if we gain the whole world but you give up your soul? And today we live like Samson. Today our drive is, yeah, God is important, but I need to make a living. I need to be successful. And I think this is the mindset of Samson. I think what's scarier here is this. When the statement says he did not know that the Lord had left him, I think this is the warning to us. It is possible to live in the will of God, even do God's work, but you are solely drifting away from God. It is possible to be in the will of God and even do God's will and work, but you are solely drifting away from God. Uh, as pastors, uh, I love PCUSA. You know what they do for our denomination for pastors? They give us uh, two weeks vacation, uh, study, study break. And they also require four weeks vacation. And they also give like sabbaticals every seven years. It's really, it's, it spoils us. And I don't know many pastors that take sabbaticals, but the reason they do that is working in ministry, working with people, and the, and the stress of congregations will take a toll. So they say, take a break. And so some of us, our leaders in our church have said, Pastor Jason, Jason it's time for you to take a break. <laughs> and I think I, think, I think I need to start recognizing that but the sabbath is given to us because you can do church work and your relationship with god is not as strong as it used to be but we fool ourselves because i'm doing christian work i'm singing songs i'm in meetings i'm preaching god must be close to me but samson did not realize the Spirit had left him. This is where our hearts are starting to creep towards our things, ourselves, and our performance accomplishments. So, how do we live this life? And here's the good news. Samson is the last of the judges, but thanks be to God, he is not the final judge. He's the last of the judges in the Bible, but he is not the final judge. There's a huge verse in here, and um, John, I'm sure, can you pull up verse 21? And I, this is, I think, my favorite verse in this chapter. It's verse 22 of the chapter, verse that we read. Verse 22. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza and bound him and with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in prison. Let's keep that verse up. So, in other words, he's caught, he's weak, and you know what grinding mills means? It's a job of a woman slave. So they have completely humiliated him and said, you are beneath a female slave. 
And then verse 22 pops up randomly. Verse 22 says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. What is that about? We have just covered that his strength doesn't literally come from his hair. His hair was cut, meaning he broke the vow with God, and so the strength of the Lord departed from him. So why would God put this in the Bible? But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. What does this mean? And this is what it means. This is so beautiful. It means that even though Samson failed, Samson betrayed God, and Samson is in the lowest place of his life, God is already working to redeem Samson. His hair is starting to grow. God is already allowing something to happen beneath the surface. And so even in our failures, even in humanity's destructive state, even in hopelessness, God is already working in our lives. That's why we always have hope. So in the moments where we recognize how did I get to this point? I think the encouragement for us is this. Right now, wherever you are, the hair is already growing. God is already working in a way that we can't even see or feel or know. Samson had been humbled, but in his hopelessness, God is bringing hope. And so the way this story ends is Philistines are having a big party. and There's about 3,000 people in this house, and all the leaders are there. And some of you may not know this story, and if you know it, it'll be a good reminder. He's dragged out there making fun of him, and he says, Servant boy, can you put my hands on the support pillars of this house? And then what does Samson do? He says, Lord God. For the first time in Judges, Samson calls out to God in the proper name, Jehovah, Savior God. Please remember me, and please give me strength once and for all, once again. And this is funny. Oh, God, that I may be avenged by the Philistines. And I wish he ended there, but he adds, for my two eyes. (laughs) So he's still thinking about himself a little bit, but he's turning his heart back to God, and God grants him that wish. And I was wondering, why did God give him this one last wish for him to die? And one commentator said, this is God closing out the judges. Samson's going to be the final judge. There's going to be a different way to redeem Israel. Others, maybe Samson needed to come home. We don't know. But God gives him this one last power. And his power was never in his hair. It was in the Lord that Samson had a covenant with God. And so he was able to break down the house. The house fell. And it says Samson did more in his death than he did in his life. So a couple of takeaways as we wrap this up. Boy, Samson's a very complicated man, and last week we learned that God will use the worst of us for his sovereign plan, and he will always fulfill his purpose. I think today, as we wrap it up, a couple of things to ponder as we're we're about to take communion. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity, this, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. If, If anything you take away today is this, No man knows how bad he is till he tries very hard to be very good. In other words, it's a feeble cause. He goes on, We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, 
is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. And so what we're learning from this is deliverance will never come from our efforts. Religion and our relationship with God never comes from our efforts. And the Christ imagery here is thick in Samson, that Samson is pointing us to Jesus Christ in so many ways. I love how he's arrested by his enemies, he's tortured, he's mocked, and all these things reminds us, this is Christ. Arrested by his enemies, mocked, Jesus never had his eyes gouged out, but he was spit on, beaten, thorn on his head. And this is the comment that I think really strikes a nerve. Samson does more through his death than his earthly life. And Christ, we celebrate and worship him not because of what he did while he was living, but why is Jesus worshipped? He did more in his death for us and the world than he ever could have done in his life. And as he rose again, that promise was fulfilled. I think Judges, we read this not as a way to live, but it's a warning for us. We cannot live with confidence in ourselves. We cannot live thinking that everything we've attained in the world, this church, our house, our lives, are because of our doing. I'm finding myself praying more these days, uh, past couple of weeks, and I'm, one thing I, I think I have drifted away from is this, God, you have given me everything. God, everything, I'm, I'm here because of your mercy and your grace. I'm not better than Samson. None of us are. God, I'm only here because of your incredible mercy for those who only can survive by your mercy. And so we take communion today because we don't deserve it, but we get to have it because of God's grace and mercy for us. It is not our strength that keeps us going in this life. It's not our performance Every single one of us will fail. And I think for the Asian community, one thing I learned from my children is I want you guys to fail and fail well. Don't be afraid of failure because two things happen, right? We learn, we grow, and we are humbled to say, I can't do this without his help. And so this brings us back to the gospel. Why are we celebrating? We've been redeemed. We've been liberated. We have life because of what Christ has done fully. He is the perfect and true Samson. We can't be Samsons. We have a greater Samson in Jesus Christ who has defeated it all. And in his death, we have life. Let's pray. So, Lord, we gather. Judges has been an interesting book, Lord, and we gather with reticence and, and just in awe that we get to approach you. God, it's easy to have your life in a book that people read. And I'm wondering how comfortable we would be if our lives were written in a book and read by so many. All the, all the details of it. And we recognize, Lord, it is not our goodness or our righteousness or the vows that we keep that keeps us in line with you, but it is your mercy to us even when we fall that holds us into your incredible family. Jesus, you have redeemed us. And so, Lord, prepare us now as you're about to take this communion.
At this time, we take a moment to just ask for your forgiveness, to just reflect on our lives and to acknowledge that, God, it's because of your might, your blessings that we are where we are. It is not anything we could have done. We did not attain this point of time in our life. It is all yours. So, Lord, we ask for forgiveness if we have taken all of this in our own namesake. Would you just take a moment to pray? And let my brothers and sisters here, as we take this bread and drink this cup together in unison, be refreshed, renewed, and be given more faith that we may follow you with joy and fervor and to see your will unfold in our lives. These things we pray in in his holy name. Amen.